Welcome to the Passion Harvest podcast audio series. Thank you so much for listening today. I am Louisa, your host, International Passion Ambassador. If you would like to watch this episode, please head over to our Passion Harvest channel on YouTube. We love taking you on a journey to discover your passions. Thanks for listening. Hello, passionate listeners and watchers. Welcome to Passion Harvest. I am Louisa, your host, International Passion Ambassador. Thank you so much for joining us. Wherever you are in the world, I am exhilarated about my guest today, and his name is Tim Freak. Tim has been exploring spirituality since a spontaneous awakening when he was 12 years old. Tim is a pioneering philosopher whose best-selling books, inspirational talks, and life-changing events have touched the hearts and minds of hundreds of thousands of people worldwide. Tim is the winner of MBS Writer of the Year Award 2020 Kindred Spirit Magazine and one of the 100 most spiritually influential living people on the 2020 list in Watkins Magazine. He's the author of 35 books. Wow, that's a lot. Translated into 15 languages and his latest book offers a revolutionary approach to awakening for the 21st century and a visionary new understanding of the nature of reality. Tim is the creator of Univigilism, a deeper way of living, and the founder of the international community of Univigils, which combines evolutionary science and deep spirituality to offer a visionary new understanding of the nature of reality and the purpose of life. Tim leads experiential deep awakening retreats internationally. This is his story and this is his passion. Tim, I'm so excited and honored to have you on the show. Welcome to Passion Harvest. Thank you. Thank you. Lovely. One should never listen to one's own bio. It's a, it's a, it always feels like, who is that guy? Wow. <laughs> that, that's you. 35 books. That's amazing. Yeah, it is a lot, isn't it? Yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah. Um, and, and, and what is really exciting for me is that I genuinely think um, the last one is, is the best. And that's a lovely position. I, I, I'm pleased to be able to say that. Well, I can't wait to discuss it. It's, but I'd love to dive right in because, well, we have a limited time frame and I've got so many exciting yeah. topics. Your spontaneous awakening when you're 12 years old. Briefly, yeah. if you don't mind discussing what No, that not was. at all. Well, it was a very long time ago, as you can tell. Um, but I grew up in a little town in the West Country of England, a tiny little place. Um, and for whatever reason, Louisa, I was always a very curious child. And it felt like the universe was a gigantic question. And I had this, from as early as I can remember, this kind of confidence that if there was such a big question, there must be such a big answer. Um, and eventually, when I was around uh, 12 years old, I would sit on this hill overlooking the, with my dog, uh, just like taking the dog for a walk, but sitting down and, and just thinking about life and death and suffering and what it was all about. You're and one deep. day oh gosh, something happened. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, it, it was. It was It was like the feeling I had. And, and what's, what's fun about it really is that I wrote about it at the time. So I've actually got some reference points where I can go back and go, oh, yeah, that's the that's young Tim there. And there's got some other things which are a little bit more, um, you know, juvenile. But there was something else going on as well. I was a 12 year old, but underneath there was something else and something happened. Um, that's how it felt at the time. So looking back, I'd now say that I experienced what I think of as a deep awake state. So it felt like my whole 
consciousness, my brain, the top would come off my head and suddenly I was full of the sky. Um, and the biggest thing that I wrote about at the time was the love, just like the whole universe was pulsating with love. And um, it made a massive impression on me. And one of the big things it did for me is it introduced me to an idea which I still have that the, the, ultimately the answer I was looking for wasn't a set of words. It was actually a direct experience of something. It was a deeper way of experiencing life. And that set me off on this crazy journey that you've, you know, writing all these books and everything, which has really been like, what the hell happened? How can I experience it again? How can I go deeper? And how can I share it with others? And that's what I've been, been doing. What, what a deep and curious 12 year old you are. You were, and you, I mean, you're obviously still very curious. I love how you said it's the emotional experience because sometimes the emotional signature, signature of the event or the experience, it's impossible to put in words. Yeah, 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 it is. And, but that was what left its big impression. It still does, really. I mean, I'm a, I, I love philosophy and I'm writing about meaning and, and understanding, but the root of it is in mystery and this experience of love or benevolence, because that's what really transports you to a place where you, that's what gives me the confidence. It's the, the experience is so powerful that it left me then. And, and, and as I came back to it again and again with this, well, the word really, I think is faith, but it's not faith in a dogma. It's faith in the goodness of existence, despite everything, because God knows there's plenty to, you know, there's plenty of bad things. But despite all of it, when you hit these deep awake states, there's this feeling of it's all, you know, we, one, of, one of the books I wrote with my dear friend who I've been traveling with since I was a teenager, actually, exploring this mystery that we're in right now. And we wrote a book on Gnostic Christianity, which was a, which is one of my bestseller with him. And we were looking for this, this ancient idea of gnosis, where you just have knowledge of an experiential awakening and you know something. And, and we both sat down at the end and said, well, look, look, can we just say it in, what is it? What's the essence of it? And it sounds completely banal, but what we came up with was everything's okay. <laughs> it, was like, <laughs> it was like, yeah, it's like that. It's like you just, it's like despite everything, it's okay. It's okay. It's like, okay. It's, and that's the thing you really need to know. Everything's going to be okay as well. Do you just think all yeah. the time? Not all the time. But a lot. I mean, it, it reminds me of when I interviewed Raymond Moody and he said, I just can't understand people that aren't curious. Mm, yeah, yeah. Well, Raymond's, I, mean, I remember reading Raymond's book avidly when it had just come out in the back of a car, um, just sitting there in this little thing. I couldn't stop reading it. And, and just like, what is this? I mean, it's, you know, that was a huge moment with uh, suddenly yeah. we were aware of near-death experiences, which yes. no one knew about. Um, this is a big question, and I guess in a, <laughs> you could go on for hours, but what you talk about the nature of reality. What is reality yeah. that we perceive as well, reality? Well, I, I can make a stab at it, Louisa, because I have been thinking about it for a long time. I think the, what we, when I look at the moment, I see that it's a process. It's flow. So it's change. And that the change, the things that have happened in the past have happened for good, and the future doesn't exist. But each moment is the realization of something new based on the past. So the past in a way doesn't pass, it's still here. It's accumulating really. 
because it's because each moment contains it like this moment contains the last moment and this moment contains you and I emailing and everything that's happened so really what's happening here is Tim everything that's ever happened to Tim is meeting everything that's happened to Louisa so my 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 hypothesis is that that fits beautifully with this new understanding that we've had for about 100 years now in science which is the whole universe is evolving so I think what we're in is a process of the realization of potentials in ever more emergent ways so that we've gone from literally 14 billion years ago, pretty much hydrogen, nothing much else, hydrogen and a bit of helium. Well, that's turned into you and me. That's our present scientific understanding. So that gas has become you and me, which is a phenomenal thought and that we're still in the same process that's got us here and each moment it's becoming something new, something new. And occasionally there's big jumps, like with the emergence of life and the emergence of consciousness, sentience, psyche, imagination. And during the whole of that process, we've gone from 10 billion years of the evolution of physics and then 4 billion years of the evolution of life. And then right at the end of that process, there's the evolution of this thing we in science, they call it the psyche, this non-material realm of meaning that you and I are actually registering these ideas in. I mean, I'm, I'm moving my mouth and I'm vibrating the air and it's going through all the electronics to the other side of the world. But all of that's encoding something which has no form in matter, an idea. And that's the latest thing to arrive. And the word psyche is the Greek word, psyche. It just means soul. So the whole narrative we have is 14 billion years to the evolution of soul. And now we have soul. We have this thing which is not made of matter. And that, I think, is what uh, what we're in. And do you think we each have an individual soul? If yes. You want to call it, yes. 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 I think. I think. But but like everything, it's all one. So it's both individual and all one. So the whole process has been fourteen billion years of individuating. So you and I are far more individual than if you compared two hydrogen atoms. They're pretty much the same but we're quite different. And the more complex and individuated things become, the more conscious they become. So I would describe, another way I describe the nature of reality is this is the one in relationship with itself through everything, including us. So we are the one in relationship with itself. And since we are, we perceive ourselves as individual, my reality based on my experiences and my memories and my consciousness is my, even though I'm talking to you now, well, I think we are talking, um, it's very different to your perception. Yeah. Yeah. Everything is perceiving uniquely. That's what's so amazing. So, you know, the plant is also the one in relationship with itself, but it's perceiving the world in a very different ways to us as human beings, let alone a hydrogen atom. But you and I, are not just perceiving it differently because we have slightly different senses. You know, I have to put these on to, make, to let it focus and all that, but also the thoughts we have. And, and anyone who's been exploring philosophy or spirituality soon discovers how you think governs what you perceive. And if you think in new ways, suddenly a whole new world opens up. And if you change state, like happened to me when I was 12, suddenly you perceive reality with new eyes. It's like you're in a completely expanded appreciation of what exists so all of this is part of that one evolutionary process and i think we're, we're 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 making the journey as individuals but the big jump which is happening right now when you talked about univigilism and the mm -hmm. community of univigils there's a little word i made up because i couldn't find a word i love it 
It's a nice word, isn't it? And the idea is, look, what's happening is that we're, we're evolving to the, another level right now. And it's been happening for a while and it probably will take a long time to happen, but it is happening from individuals to unividuals, where a univigil is an individual conscious of unity, conscious of that oneness. So when that awakening state that I tasted for the first time when I was 12, one of the things that marks it out and the mystics throughout the ages have said is you, you suddenly go, oh, it's all one. So I'm an individual, but actually I'm like a particular branch on one tree and I'm relating to itself. And when you get that, there's this shift. And that's the, I think that's what spiritual awakening essentially is, to get that shift. I, I'm just backtracking and I want to go back onto this, but you talk, you talk yeah. about thoughts and I guess despite what happens on our external landscape, we get to choose our thoughts. And if, but if with the individual or the collective approach, are our thoughts our own? No, they're a mixture. Everything is. So one of the things which I use a lot when I, in, in looking at things is what I call paralogical thinking or both and rather than either or. So our thoughts are neither our own, neither, but neither are they not our own. There's a, it's kind of combined. So, I mean, every word I've, every word I've said since we've spoken has been said by somebody else. And each word, somebody said it for the first time, didn't they? Every single word was said for the first time once. And then we've picked them up and repeated them. So we're part of a collective, just like the clothes we wear is collective and, but it's a collection of individuals and the same, I think with our words and our thoughts, you know, I, I, I think we share ideas. And, and I think also, you know, some of the ideas that I work with, I find out years later has been thought of by somebody else and, or at the same time, because I think we are connected and the thoughts, when they come, it's like thoughts arise, don't they? And then we get the chance to choose what we follow. Mm. And I think that's the key thing. And, and then we, we have to choose, is that a deeper thought? Like if you, anyone listening to this now, you know, they've got to weigh it up. Is this guy full of, you know, bullshit? Is this, you know, another, or is there something here that might be of interest to me? And they'll compare it with their old ideas and there might be some resonance that'll help, or there might be some dissonance and then they've got to decide, Oh, do I go, do I follow down this new road with a dissonance? Cause it might lead somewhere better or, and we're doing that all the time. Very interesting. And I just want to ask you about the soul. And I think you mm. gave a great analogy sure can't remember what interview it was you talk about the soul like a computer I thought that was a do you mind just describing that because that was such a great way to yeah well it, I mean what's there's an example actually Louisa you know I I, I wrote about that and, and been talking about that and then I found a really hard-nosed if you like uh, philosopher um, who works in in science using exactly the same metaphor so it was like ah okay right so this is not uh, this is this is not so a way out and, and what basically all that both of us are saying here is as an analogy, think of the body like the hardware and, and, and the psyche like the software. And in a very realistic way, that's what's happening. So right now we're passing software between us. Our hardware's not changing. We're not passing our hardware between us. And if the hardware gets damaged, the software won't work very well. But the software is fundamentally independent. So here's, here's an idea, um, the idea of the psyche being software. I take the idea, where is it? Well, it's nowhere. Is it those words? No, I could say it in French. I could write it down. I could type it to you. It's not any of the symbols. It's an idea. And an idea, what's it made of? It's not made of anything. It's, an imag it's made of imagination. It's, a, it's an imaginal level of reality. That's where we've ended up. You can't see it. It, has no, it doesn't exist in space, which is why I can pass it to you so easily. And 
what that does, it does two things. One, it helps you to see that this imagination, the great thing that the spiritual traditions teach, which is different to modern science, and I think the spiritual traditions are better on this, is that the domain of the soul, the psyche, isn't just a byproduct of the body. It's actually a whole level of reality. Uh, you know, the, the ancient Egyptians call it the Duat. In Tibet, it's called the Bardos. In South America, the Kogi, Colombia, call it the Aluna. It's millions of names, the spirit realms, you know, heaven. So the traditional idea in spirituality is like, well, that exists. And if you, if you go out and explore it, it does. You know, if you, if you meditate, if you go for journeys, you take ayahuasca, you do all the crazy things that, that I've done. I'm sure you've done a lot as well. You just, it's huge out there, isn't it? The, the world of the soul is as big as the world of the body. It's, We're not separate. It's a limit. You know, it's just huge. So the big idea underneath Soulstorm, in my latest book, when you said what's, what's reality is, how a, what, what I want to do is I want to say to science, the process of evolution, which you described so beautifully, it doesn't stop with biology and then a side effect, which is the psyche. It's actually led to the arising, the evolution of this independent domain of the software, this independent domain of the imagination. So when you talked about Raymond Moody earlier, what the hell's happening there when people have near-death experiences? Well, the reductionist science view is, well, it's just a byproduct of the brain. We don't understand it. It's a bit weird. Yeah. But of course, if you look at the evidence, it's overwhelming. It's like, no, something is happening here. Yeah. So then you think, oh, well, maybe this level maybe it's like my computer now the software it can exist independently so i'm looking at you right now i had a computer problem earlier today but it was okay because it was all backed up on the cloud well what if we're backed up on the cloud what if our existence we exist as souls in the body with the hardware but also independently so that so that what happens with death is the experience of the imagination continues the imaginal experience we're having already, we're already in it. We're in it now. We're passing all the interesting things that are happening are happening in that domain right now in the, in the domain of psyche or soul is that that continues. In fact, it gets deeper because, you know, like when you go to, you go to sleep at night, if you think, you know, I'll be going off soon, you'll just start the day. <laughs> but, you know, when I go to sleep, I go off into, my, I lose all my sensory consciousness and I go into a dream and it's vivid, really vivid. It's a world. So I think that's what's happening with death. We're just going, we're, we're, we're taking all of our, you know, well, this will be dead. So the sensory consciousness will go. The ability to, to sense things will stop. No hardware. But the ability to imagine and in a collective way, it's like a collective dream, uh, seems to continue. But the difference between what I'm saying, just to tie it right back around, to what spirituality has said in the past is that the, the traditional story says that's always existed and you and me are souls essentially and we've fallen into the body and the body's a tomb and we're trapped in it and this is maya samsara it's illusion it's a bad place we need to free ourselves from captivity and get back to the 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 non-material realm whereas what i'm saying is the other way around much more optimistic i'm saying no no that hasn't we haven't fallen from that we're growing into that that's what this whole process is leading to. Right. It's leading to the immortality of the soul. It's leading to us establishing ourselves in the realm of the psyche. Very interesting. And what are your thoughts on reincarnation? 
Well, you know, instinct, no, instinctively, I, I, you know, I've been around spirituality for a long time and I've seen a lot of nonsense and I've probably seen more nonsense around reincarnation than anything. It's a very, I've seen it used manipulatively. Oh, we've met in a past life or even all that stuff. Yeah. Despite which, uh, I, I think we should take it seriously. Um, you know, with a lot of care as to what, you know, what we do. Um, I think, I think the psyche, the software um, is able to maintain itself for a bit, um, but need, but is, but it hasn't left this. You know, it's like a, it's like you're jumping off the off the ground. You know, you're you're actually flying for a short while, and then you come back to the ground, and something like that. That we're able to go <gasps> into this realm of the imagination very deeply and connect with the light and all of the things which people describe. But then we will find ourselves coming back in, and again we can demystify it because if you go, well, look literally when this computer this computer here is a, is not a new one now but when it was new it just i just downloaded all the stuff from the last one right and yeah. so you could say it's still the is it the same computer well an yes upgrade and no, <laughs> an upgrade yeah exactly but a it's a part of evolution a continuation and i think uh, i think that's what we're doing i think you know we're, we're, it's it, there's one story of which these lives become chapters, a bit like, again, in a dream. You know, if you think of all the dreams you've ever had, and some of them, you know, I'm sure if you're like me, some, you weren't even Louisa, you were somebody else or in a different country or all sorts of mad things. And none of the dream people knew about each other. But they're all you. And when you wake up, you go, yeah, no, they're all me. Yeah. But at the time, you don't do that. You don't, at the time, you're not in... You know, I'm not there fighting a war in the First World War thinking, I'm the same guy that dreamt I stole an aeroplane in another dream. And, then, you know, it's like, <laughs> you don't know that. But then when you wake up, you do. You go, oh, yeah, yes. they're all aspects of the one soul. Soul. Um, gosh, you're explaining this so well. Oh, thank you. I've just lost my train of thought. I was going to ask uh, you an important uh, question. <laughs> um if it, so, that, so each incarnation potentially become for the evolution growth of our yeah i think so i think we are part of the, the same process that's been going on for 14 billion years has led to us and that the you know biological evolution is still going on but it's fairly slow physical evolution is still going on but it's very slow but the, the evolution of the soul is exponential it's happening at a phenomenal rate and i mean i love the idea that consciousness is already there and we can tap into i mean we don't necessarily need to learn to understand it if we're able to tap into deeper states of consciousness but why in your opinion do you think some people are more i won't use the word evolved but able to tap into deeper states of consciousness or the psyche than others i think the great secret which is emerged with with i think what consciousness is is paying attention I think whatever you pay attention to, you're conscious of, and it's a, like a focused subjectivity and the rest becomes unconscious. Like I'm very conscious of you. And until I thought about it, I wasn't conscious of my family in my house at the bottom of the garden. But now I'm thinking about them, so I'm conscious of them. So wherever my attention goes, I'm conscious and the rest becomes unconscious, at least for a while. And the power of the attention, I think, is wherever, whatever you do with it, it, it brings things into HD. It's, they suddenly become vivid. Like you're vivid to me. You're I'm, vivid to me got, as well. <laughs> thank you. Because we because we I'm giving you my attention and vice versa. And I think that what happens with us is that whatever we pay attention to grows. 
So if, you, if, if in this life or in previous lives, you've paid attention to waking up to oneness or exploring deeper spiritual states, you're just better at it. The same way that if someone's paid attention to music or playing the piano or sport or anything, they will tend to get better at it. Because So I think, yes, I do think that, but it's not an elitist thing. It's not like, well, some people are more evolved. It's like they're more evolved in that way. And that's the way that interests me. So I'm that, I like that. But there's other ways to evolve too. And some people, what I like about the individual thing, Louisa, is it's quite different to the traditional idea, say, of enlightenment. Because the idea of enlightenment is that there's a state, it's a very Indian idea. You don't get it anywhere else, really. There's a state, we've fallen into this, you can escape. And once you've escaped, you have escaped. That's it, you're finished. You've arrived. This isn't like that at all. This is going, no, there's an ongoing evolution in every direction going on here. And when you, when you become conscious of your connectivity to the world, to the universe, and to everyone, there's this huge benevolence, this love, which naturally arises from the connection. But you may not think in terms of spirituality. That, that might, you might, I know lots, lot, well, my mum is my prime example. She's my biggest teacher. She wasn't particularly spiritual. She was just a really good person. And she just knew this stuff. I don't know how she knew it, but she just knew it. And she was she thought she was a completely ordinary woman in every way. But wherever she went, people went, oh, that was what happened then. But she wasn't enlightened or she was just a individual. She was an individual who knew that she was serving. She was serving the one she was, you know, she was linked to everything. And she wouldn't have said those words. You know, that would not, not remotely they, have No, they're your words, but so... They're my words. So what are the traits to embrace univigilism? I think the biggest one is, you know, I used to describe it as big love because it's just this enormous love. But I think it may be an even better way of describing it that I've been playing with recently is to, is to call it that there's a universal benevolence. It's like the love is huge, but... It comes and goes. You know, you can't live in that. You know, I'd be mush. You know, the idea of going to see my bank manager when I was feeling the big love is just like, you know, I'd be like, <laughs> money. So, but there is something. <laughs> there's something which <laughs> there's something which stays the same, even when I'm kind of irritated. And that's that. There's a huge wishing well for everything and everyone that arises from this state of oneness. So I think one of the telltale signs is, is really beyond ideas or theories or anything, is that you just sense there's a goodness in somebody because they, they feel connected and they wish well for others. I think that's the, the biggest telltale sign. And I also think it's far more widespread than we realize. And I think it's been growing steadily and fast over, the, over my lifetime. I think there's a lot of people who feel it, actually. I'm feeling the love now. It's a beautiful way to describe it. What about yeah. um, individuals that, <laughs> I don't like to use the word inherently, but aren't inherently positive individuals? They aren't positive? You mean yes. they, 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 they feel pessimistic or they're, they're Yes, or you or... probably think, I don't like that person. I don't, you know, I don't think that person's a good person. Ah, okay, right, right, right. I'm trying well, to put it in a politically correct way. <laughs> correct way. <laughs> it's look, the one of the things I like about this evolutionary understanding is it just 
makes it clear that well you've got to live with all the other levels of evolution i have to i have to live with matter and no matter how awake i am that's going to fall and you know what it's going to fall again it's going to keep falling because that's that level of evolution i have to live with my body it needs constant attention and the older i get the more attention it needs you know it's like it's a great blessing it's a bit of a curse sometimes that's biology and it's going to play out its days and then it'll, it won't work anymore. That's biology. And then the same with society. There's people still living in the Middle Ages out there. And they just are. They're living in a combative place where it's, I mean, history is not, a, not pleasant. It's, it's, a, it's a place you don't want to live. And some people are still in those, those mindsets. And I guess, you know, that, that, that will slowly change, but it'll take a while. So what we have to do is establish how that we respond differently. And I mean, just to go back to the Gnostics, I mean, that incredible line in the Gospels where Jesus is made to say, love your enemies. I mean, what a transition point in the whole of history that is. Yeah, I mean, when we come one. close to it, I mean, just like, wow, what an idea that is to just drop that into the evolutionary stream. And, and, and there you go, there's the answer. It's like, okay. And I think you said there was no endpoint, so there is no endpoint to the univigilism or this capacity for love. Well, if there is, I don't know what it is, because it's like I'm just a little guy here in the middle of it all. And, and, <laughs> a curious little great, person. Yeah, really. And, and, and there's something about if you're, if you're an evolutionist or, or if you see novelty, new things constantly emerging, you genuinely don't know what the future holds. So let alone what's going to be in 100 years' time or 1,000 years' time or, you know, whatever that could be, because it, it will literally be something we can't imagine, just as no other human beings, apart from those who've lived in our lifetimes, would possibly imagine that I could be talking to you like this in Australia. It would just like, that would, it's impossible to think that. But we're just taking it for granted now. And, yes. you know, and our, our psyches, our souls are connecting right now on the other side of the planet. I mean, wow. And, and that has come from the imagination. That's come from the psyche. Everything comes from, everything we've done culturally, it's all come from the imagination. We've, had, we've, we've used that incredible non-material domain of ideas to transform the material world. Very interesting. Gosh, I'm going to be thinking about this interview for a long time. I've got another question. <laughs> Why... I mean, what do you think about soul groups or why are we sometimes attracted, not even romantically, but particular to particular individuals more than others? Sometimes, you know, we can talk to someone for hours or or not. I, I think there's probably different reasons. I think sometimes uh, my sense in my life has been, oh, you know, sometimes there is just a resonance. It's like you you found similar things or, you know, you, like when two people like the same piece of music, suddenly you can go, oh, yeah, and you meet on that place. And so if you have the same ideas, you can meet there. But also, you know, I would say, I mean, there's two, there's many people actually, but there's two people that come to mind for me that I've literally been doing this with since I was a teenager. And I still do it with them. By doing it, I mean, getting together and going, wow, life. What have you made of it so far? And, and we're just, and, and, when, what, and we, we have the same things happen to us at the, more or less at the same time, even if we don't see each other for a long period, it's quite uncanny. So my sense is, yeah, we just known each other. We're just, there's some strange connection. We all feel it. We've always felt it. 
there it is. You know, it's like yeah. we're we're old friends, and we started is. as old friends. You know, we were already old friends when we started. You know, that's, and that's maybe my... you've lived many lives together. That's the familiarity. I wouldn't surprise me. It wouldn't surprise me at all. No. So no. well, thank you. That I, I I think that's a wonderful explanation. That your international community of individuals. What what's that about? Um, it's it's only just set it up. It's a really sweet thing because I'm developing from my latest book, Soul Story, I'm working on a new thing, which is to try and give it a name, Univigilism. And it's an idea of what I want to do is express a philosophy and practices because there's a large, most of what I've done over the years is being practical. It's about this is how you can experience. I want people to experience the big love, really. Because mm-hmm. it's I'm great really to talk about it, but then, the, you know, it's like, You've okay, well, now what do I do? <laughs> So that's that's the that's been the key, and a lot of I do with that is around connection. But having been, if I'm honest, really surprised at how well the experiential stuff worked, because when I was younger, it just happened. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like I could make it happen; it just happened, and then it stopped, and then it would happen, and then gradually I found ways that I could introduce it to people and myself. So there's that side, and then wanting this philosophy which brings together science and spirituality, because. I think spirituality needs to move on very, it needs to keep evolving. It needs a major upgrade. So I'm trying to contribute to that. And so what I wanted to do was gather people around me who were interested in the same thing, who who were interested both in this particular philosophy and this approach and the practice of becoming a individual, actually experiencing that and taking it out into the world. So it's a tiny, really, tiny little group of people all over the world, which is lovely. Well, it's not you know, that tiny. A group in Japan as well. Yeah. And we get, and it's, and it's kind of like friends really, because it means I can, I'm trying out new ideas all the time because I'm really trying to push the boundaries of my own understanding. And it means- Well, maybe we they're not new them. ideas. Oh, no, that's right. You know, the, the new ideas to me. Yeah, yeah. And, and it, <laughs> that in you've a, tapped you know, into. Probably. I mean, you know, it's like you can definitely, you know, right, you know, you, you can tell when an idea's got legs, as they say, you know, that it's like, oh, that follow that It's one. exciting. I, I, yeah. It, oh, it's just the most thrilling thing. Oh, like you're that, passionate that, about that it. <laughs> that's beautiful. Definitely. Completely obsessively so. And this is what you also, the term you refer to as a, like awakening for the 21st century. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think. The awakening um, to the oneness of the universe has people have been talking about it for a long time, but it's been it's it's usually been in a context, like I said, of, of a mythology of the fall rather than an optimistic philosophy of evolution, and so that we're already there, but we've fallen from it, rather than no, we're growing into it. So I'm wanting to recast awakening. Uh, I was very influenced my. My contemporaries have all been very influenced by Indian philosophy, some of which is great, some of which a bit like Western religious philosophy. You know, there's it's bits in it which are just sublime, but there's other bits you want to leave behind. And there's a lot of stuff now in that I think we need to leave behind. So we need a, we need a new paradigm, as they say, a new understanding, um, and, and one that can really give us the meaning that we need in our lives. So I just have to ask, I'm very interested briefly, what are some of the tools you offer for awakening or univigilism or the experiential yeah. offerings? Well, you know, meditation, of course, but a particular take on it, a particular way of, of, of approaching it. I mean, but first and foremost, Louise, I do think we're all different. I encourage people to experiment 
And I offer various things I've experimented with. And, you know, I, it's not like a prescribed thing where it's like, this is the technique. And I think that's a real mistake. I think we're all quite different. We experience things in different ways, but there's a commonality which we can meet in. So, but with all of that proviso, the thing that has really worked incredibly powerfully and is even now working on Zoom, I'm shocked to say, is connecting. So 20 years ago, by accident, I did something which human beings have obviously been doing forever, but I'd never done before or heard, heard of anything in the spiritual world I moved in. I just sat people down and got them looking at each other. And something happened. And what I'll do now when I do the retreats is I will get a whole group of people and we'll work up to creating, you know, beautiful environments and beautiful music because music really is in deep, deep magic. It's a very high level of the psyche. And uh, I'll get people to just hold hands and look in each other's eyes for two or three minutes. I've done that and then it's move. confronting, isn't it? Oh, but you do it in the right way. It's like what suddenly at a moment, you know, everything just goes and so you'll do it with one person and then the next person and then the next person and then the next person. And by the end, I would say 99% probably of people just, it just, because what's happening is you're noticing, you start maybe thinking. So you start thinking, look, you're looking at someone's face. Like I'm looking at your face now, but you literally, I'm looking at a screen. So I'm seeing digital representation of your face. Right. But if I, you know, so there's your lovely face. It's completely unique. It's beautiful. But what I'm connecting with is your soul. I can't see that. I couldn't see if I was with you. Why? Because it hasn't got a color. It's got no shape. It's, it's not made of matter. You can't see it with your physical eyes. You can't. And yet there it is, we're connecting. So you just sit there with, oh my God, we're connecting soul to soul here. And then at a certain moment, it's the one connecting with itself. And there's one of you. And then there's two of you. And then there's one of you. And then there's one and two of you. And you just, so, and then the, the love is how the oneness feels, I think. That's just the way it feels. So if you go really deep into the oneness, a very safe space then there can be this immense uh, feeling of love that comes up. And that's what brings the faith and the goodness because it's such a strong experience. Well, I'm feeling the love. <laughs> um, mm. Would you like to discuss your new book? Is it Soul Story? Soul Story is my latest book. Yeah, that's the, the well, it's been, book. we've been, yeah, uh, um, I'm working on a new thing at the moment. Oh my is, gosh, you must be busy. So thank you for taking the time to talk to me as well. No, it's, it's a pleasure. It's been a, a lovely. Uh, so I have, I think most of what I've been talking about has been um, this evolutionary. So what, what's happened, Louise, is, is I've been, I wrote most of my early books were about going through all of the different spiritual traditions, literally from alchemy to Zen, going, look at the heart of the, the very, they're very different, but underneath there's a human being who's gone, it's all one and what really matters is love. And that's true here. Here's Rumi and the Sufis. He's saying that. Mm -hmm. Here's Chang Su and the Taoists. Here's Bodhidharma, the Zen Chan Buddhists. It's like, oh, there's a there's a common human experience, which then people are understanding in different ways. And there's commonality and there's difference. And it's evolving. The understanding and the experience is evolving. So having written all of those books going, look, 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 here it is, the shamans and the da-da-da. I then started thinking, right, I want to introduce people to this experience and started doing this practical stuff 20 years ago. 
but also wanting to go, well, if it's evolving and if all of the, what marks these people out that I love so much is they took what they were given and turned it into something new for their own times. They didn't just repeat it. They created it new. And that's what we must do. So I started that process. And the first part of that was in, in, my, in my book, um, uh, Deep Awake and Mystery Experience, was to find a new vocabulary to talk about awakening for the 21st century. And then my latest book, Soul Story, takes it on a big jump because then it's like, okay, now let's ground it. We have the biggest change that's happened is we have science. And it is incredibly powerful. It's allowing us to do this, for instance. Mm. So we need to take that very seriously. The problem is that science, which is a, the, the, the most, most complete thing that human beings have ever done, dismisses spirituality as unreal and i happen to know that it's not so how can we and then you end up so so in the comment you know, i would say at the moment in the uk in the intellectual mainstream if you like not 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 most people but that group who run the culture yeah if i say i believe in life after death there's a real feeling of oh really you're a bit of an idiot then aren't you you know it's a like yeah, you're a bit woo-woo, and, <laughs> woo-woo. you know, wishful thinking. <laughs> you're not, you know, it's like, you know, ah, so you're not, you're not, you're not strong enough to face the reality then. That's the way it's thought. My feeling is, I don't think that at all. I think it's perfectly rational, reasonable thing to believe. So what I want to do is create a philosophy which brings the two together and can talk about, like we've done tonight, how we understand things like the immortality of the soul and reincarnation in a way that isn't woo-woo so that people can hold their head up and go, no, that's an intellectually robust thing to say. It's a beautiful thing, but it's also intellectually robust. It's, it's, you know, there's, there's good reasons to think that it's not, you're not foolish for thinking that. So we can start bringing back into mainstream culture, these ancient ideas in a new form. Well, I think you're doing incredible work. I well, really, really do. Thank you. I'm, <laughs> I'm very touched. And very much needed, very much needed. Um, is there anything that I haven't asked you that you'd like to share with the Passion Harvest audience? Well, we've shared so much. Um, we've got covered a lot, haven't we? But if you feel called I, I to think, share something. I, yeah, there is. There's, I think one little thing which we, we might be nice to tie all together, which is, you know, I've been exploring um, philosophy and evolution and science and all of that and the ideas and the metaphors. But we started with that experience when I was 12. And that's still the heart. And when I was writing Soul Story, at a certain point towards the end, I suddenly thought, I've got to make a confession here. Uh, I've got to make it clear to people. And so I found myself saying, look, make no mistake about it. The, re- the, the underlying thing I'm trying to do here is to present something which is intellectually robust to justify childlike intuitions that arise from me in the deep awake state. And the intuitions themselves are so childlike and yet they're the deepest things I know. And the phrase I came up with, which captured it at that time for me, was it feels like, yeah, when I, the deepest thing that's in me, below all of the clever ideas, is a conviction 
that despite everything, life is good, death is safe, and what really matters is love. And oh, that's the underlying message for it's sure. so beautiful. Well, thank you so much for that. Tim, where can people, where's the best place for people to connect with you? Uh, well, you can find me because uh, my name is strange, F-R-E-K-E, but pronounced freak. I've pronounced um, it correctly. And can I just interrupt did. everyone that's listening, your, your details and links will also be in the show notes. So please go on. Where they Great. Right. Well, that's the best way to get me is through my website, um, Facebook, um, all of that stuff. YouTube, got loads of stuff on my YouTube channel. Lots You've and lots got some lots great videos there. Yeah. And I've been doing this lovely series of talking to other philosophers called What is Life? So that's been real fun. So there's, there's all sorts there. And there's, there's also guided meditations. Um, and uh, if they want to try the gazing, there's a, there's a, um, a CD available now with um, some music on that someone's done in the States. So, yeah, there's lots of stuff there. And most of it's for free. So just go out and enjoy it. And if you want to find out about the ICU, which see, I called it the International Community of Individuals because it shortens to the ICU. Which is oh a, uh, yes okay I know I'm a slow learner <laughs> oh no 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 I just couldn't resist it so um so it's the ICU and and uh, we meet up every month uh, every week sorry on a Sunday not great timing for Australia but okay for everywhere else um but there is now a Japanese and Australian group starting at a better time for those areas so you know just if you're drawn to it there's plenty you know come and come and explore Wonderful. Well, Tim Freak, thank you so much for being on Passion Harvest. It's been really, really a delight to connect with you. Yeah, likewise. Thanks for the invite. Thanks, Tim. Bye-bye. That is the end of our passionate episode. Thank you so much for listening. And please subscribe, leave a review, tell your friends and spread the passion. As always, every day, may you be more and more passionate.